0: I think many of you know that for the last few weeks we've been looking at the story of Jonah, and it's a story that many of us are familiar with. And I'm not going to spend a long time this morning reviewing. I'll deal with some review here in just a couple of moments. But this morning, I think for all of us who are licensed drivers, most of us have a fairly decent working knowledge of, of a car and things that are expected of a car and things that would be expected of us as it relates to the car, most of us have an idea as to what's going on, I hope, before we get behind the wheel. Would you agree? Okay. So I'm going to mention just a couple of basic things that you and I are aware of, and if these are new to you, I would encourage you to surrender your driver's license. Okay? If you're not aware of this, if you don't know this to be true, then I would ask you to please not drive uh, any time in the near future. I trust you know this, that if you leave your keys in the ignition, you get out of your car and you lock your car, you will have just locked your keys in the car. If you've ever done such a thing, you know the frustration that that can lead to. It can cause you to stand there looking at your car like, how did this just happen? Though you really don't want anyone to answer the question. How how did I just do that? Well, you really want to know? No, I don't. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, If you've ever locked your keys in the car, you know that it can be very frustrating. You know that it can be very time-consuming. You know that there are just several headaches that can be created because of our lapse in thinking and thus locking the keys in the car. All of us know this, that it requires fuel to make our cars get up and down the road. So we understand what that little gauge is for on the dash. It's an indicator that lets us know while the tank was once full, well, you've used about a quarter of your tank. Well, now you've used about a half a tank. Now we're down to a quarter of a tank left, and, and now you're empty. At some point, you need to find a gas station and fill up. We understand that, Correct. All right, we understand that. We know that to be true. And if you've ever run out of gas, you know how frustrating that can be. It's almost as frustrating and, or maybe more frustrating. I don't know, uh, depending on the circumstances. But it can be almost as frustrating as locking your keys in the car. And, and so we know, okay, if we're beginning to get low on fuel, let's stop somewhere and let's fill back up so that we can continue on down the road. I think all of us this morning would agree that the statistics have been uh, gone over many, many times, and it's been proven over and over again that seatbelts save lives. And it's a good thing, and it's a beneficial thing, and it's it's a helpful thing for you to get in and to buckle up. And so here are just a few things that we know about cars. It's not good to leave your keys in the ignition if you're going to get out and, and lock the doors. We know that you need to keep some fuel in it if you want to keep going up and down the road. And we understand this, that as you're driving up and down the roads, you, you probably ought to have your seatbelt on. You, you knew all of this, correct? I, I hope none of you are sitting here saying, you know, I, I, I didn't realize that. Now, I say that for a reason. We know those things, do we not? Get the keys out of the ignition before you lock it up. Make sure there's plenty of fuel. And while you're driving down the road, have the seat belts on. We know all that, yet you know what every car is equipped with? Reminders of all three of these things. Now, think about that for just a moment. You don't have to be very old to figure out, especially if you were watching mom or dad deal with this, you know. If you saw mom or dad lock their keys in the car, you figured out pretty quick, this is a good time for me to shut up. I don't need to say anything to dad and mom like, what's going on, dad? Okay, see, we learn real quick, don't do that. And yet Ford, Chevrolet, Dodge, Lexus, Mercedes, every one of them. You know what happens if you leave your key in the ignition and you get out of the car and the door is open? You will hear some kind of a chime, some kind of a ding, something trying to get your attention to remind you your keys are in the ignition. Every car, at least in the last 20 years I would suspect, has some kind of a little light that comes on when you begin running low on fuel. Yeah. Our cars not only have a light that come on, there's this little chime and this little ding that says, you're getting low on fuel, it's time to fill back up. Right. You think I don't know that? Well, I mean, <laughs> statistics prove sometimes people need help reminded, you being reminded. And nowadays, it used to be that the seatbelt alarm would eventually stop after a few times. But again, at least in our cars, I don't know how to bypass it. I don't know how to get around it. You know what our cars do? They chime and they chime and they chime and they chime until you get the seatbelt on. It'll just keep chirping. It'll just keep making the sound that it's been programmed to to make, and and it's saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. You need your seatbelt on. I know that. I, I know you know that, would say the car manufacturers. But we're trying to get your attention. Because you're not acting upon that which you know. We know you know about keys in the ignition and fuel in the tank and all that other stuff. But see, you're not acting upon what you know. So to try to help you, we're giving you some reminders. Now here's the amazing thing. With the knowledge that we have and the reminders that have been given, you know what you and I still have the right to do? To ignore every bit of it. Yes, I hear that chime. Yes, I understand that the keys are in the ignition. You and I have the ability and you and I have the freedom to block out that chime and to block out what we already know and do exactly what we want to do. You and I have the freedom to hear that chime go off in our car and to see that light come up indicating we're low on fuel. We have all the freedom we want to ignore what we know already and what the car maker is reminding us of. And we can keep on driving till it spitters and sputters and eventually dies on the side of the road. We can do it. And if we want to get in our car and we want to start that car and we want to put it in drive and we want to take off down the road without buckling up, we can ignore every report and every statistic ever given, and we can ignore every bell and every chime, we can ignore every bit of it and drive as fast as we want to drive up and down the road. But here's what we've got to recognize, and here's what we've got to be mindful of this morning. If you and I are going to ignore what we already know, and we're going to ignore the reminders and the alerts that have been put in place, then we have no reason to be upset when things don't go the way we'd rather them go. Are you hearing this? If I'm going to ignore that chime that says the keys are in the ignition, if I'm going to block that out because my mind is somewhere else and I've got to hurry and I've got something else to do, if I choose to block that out, I can do it. But listen, I can't get mad at Ford whenever I'm standing there going, I wish I had my keys. And I have all the freedom I want to drive as far as I want and try to get every mile out of that fuel tank. But if I let it go empty... I cannot call Jeep and say, Jeep, why did you make such a piece of junk? That one's on me. Because I ignored what I already knew, and I ignored the alert that was given. That is on me, and I have no right to be mad or upset or frustrated with anyone else or anything else, no matter how badly I may want to be. Now why say all that? Well, this morning we're talking about Jonah again. And what did God call Jonah to do? Well, God called Jonah to go to the land of Nineveh and to preach a message of judgment, that in 40 days God was going to overthrow them and God was going to destroy them. And, And we've talked about this extensively, how that is not what Jonah wanted to do. Jonah heard this call, and Jonah sensed this call. Jonah knew exactly what God's will was. God said, I want you to go to the land of Nineveh and to preach this message. Nineveh was to the east, and what was Jonah determined to do? Jonah was determined to get as far away from God's call in his life. He was going to go down to Joppa. He was going to get on that ship. He was going to pay the fare thereof, and he was going to get to Tarshish. As I mentioned several weeks ago, he was going to get as far away from God as he possibly could. I want to ask you something, and you just answer this in your mind. You don't need to answer this out loud. Just answer this in your mind. But Jonah was a child of God, was he not? Well, of course he was. Jonah would not have been an unsaved person or what we would say he would not or he could not have not been a child of God and God called him to preach. And so here's what we understand is Jonah was fully aware who God was and he was fully aware of God's authority in his life. And so that causes me to believe this, that whenever Jonah said, you know what, I don't want to go there. And I'm going to go the opposite direction. I believe this with all my heart, that Jonah knew what he was doing was wrong. Jonah knew that what he was doing was wrong. It was just this inborn, innate understanding that disobeying God's word from my life is wrong. Well, Jonah, where did you learn that? Well, I mean I've just you know I've heard it all my life, but but you know as being a part of the people of God, as being a Hebrew, as being a Jew, as being one who has followed God for x number of years, you know it's not as though it's been just pounded in my head over and over and over again, but in a sense it had been, but but I want us to understand this that that Jonah had a conscience, and Jonah had an understanding really without anyone telling him uh it's wrong to run from God. Now as Jonah ran from God, we know that things did not work out the way he had hoped they would. Does this make sense? Jonah ran from God, and while things seemed to go okay for a while, things did not end up the way that they that he hoped they would. No, because when he got on that ship and the ship took off, what happened? Well, the storm began to arise and the winds began to blow. And as it said in verse number 4, and we've seen repeatedly throughout this chapter, that there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So much so that they eventually cast a lots to find out who was responsible for this. It's no surprise to us that Jonah was the culprit and Jonah was responsible. Now let's look this way and pay attention to this, okay? Jonah was the one responsible for all this and the men finally said, what? do we do to correct this what do we do to address it and Jonah said you have to throw me overboard well the mariners didn't like that idea you remember that and so what do they do it says in the scripture that they continued to row and they continued to to strive to bring the ship to land but they were unable to do so and the reason they did not want to throw Jonah overboard is because humanly speaking it would have led to Jonah's death they were convinced that Jonah was going to die, because in verse number 14 it says, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. In verse number 14 it shows us that, shows us that these men were convinced Jonah would die when they threw him overboard. Now, as that is so, I want us to look in verse number 17. Because this is a very important statement, whether we've ever given attention to it or not. Notice in verse number uh, 17 of chapter 1, it says this. Now the Lord. The Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, Jonah identified him earlier in the chapter In verse number 9, He is the God of heaven which hath made the sea and the dry land. It's pretty impressive, is it not? This is important. This is significant. It is the Lord who is the one who hath made the sea and the dry land. It says in verse number 17 that He, the Lord, had prepared. He had prepared. What does it mean to prepare something? It means to manufacture or to assemble or to compose something. Every one of us knows what it means to prepare something. Many of you this afternoon, you will prepare a dish. Many of us this afternoon will prepare for the evening activities tonight. And all that will go with that. And, And here's what we're doing is we are manufacturing it. We are assembling it. We are composing it. We are taking all the necessary ingredients to make something what it needs to be. Here is the Lord who is the one who, is, who has created and made the sea and the dry land. It says the Lord had prepared something. God is manufacturing something. He is composing something. He is orchestrating something. So what was it the Lord prepared? Well, we know what it says in verse number 17. It says the Lord prepared a great fish. Well, what kind of a fish was it? Well, the Gospels tell us it was a well. So we know that the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now think about this for just a moment. The Lord prepared the fish to be there. This was not coincidence. This was not amazingly bad luck for Jonah. This was not just an unfortunate set of circumstances in Jonah's life. No, every bit of this was prepared or orchestrated or manufactured or composed by God. God knew exactly when Jonah would be thrown overboard. He knew exactly where Jonah would be thrown overboard. And so knowing all those things prior to it happening, somehow God worked in the life of this great fish, this well. To be right there in the water where Jonah would come over, and as Jonah hit the water, I don't know how long he splashed, I don't know how long he spit and sputtered, I don't know, but I know this there was a fish waiting on him. And it wasn't waiting on him just to scare him, to play with him, or to give him some kind of crazy experience. It says in verse number 17, the Lord prepared the fish to swallow him. Friends, that's an amazing God. That he can prepare a fish to be in the right place at the right time with the right measure of hunger, ready to open up and to swallow at just the right moment. Now, we're going to look at this more next week in chapter 2 and what all took place in those days that it says Jonah was there. But I want us to think about this question Why did God have this great fish prepared to swallow up Jonah? Now, think about that for just a moment. Why did God have this great fish prepared? to swallow up Jonah when he was thrown overboard because of his disobedience to God. Well, here's what we have to conclude if we'll be honest about the Scripture and the flow of things. Here is what God was striving to do. God was striving to get Jonah's attention. See, if God was striving to take Jonah's life, The storm could have done that. Does this make sense? The mariners knew for sure whenever we throw him overboard, he's a goner. He's a dead man. He'll not ever survive this. So if God was simply seeking to judge Jonah by taking his life, then the storm could have done that and the fish would not have been needed. See, as God prepared this great fish to swallow up Jonah, God was not doing this to destroy Jonah, but rather he was doing this to try to get his attention. Jonah, this is a bell. Jonah, this is a chime. Jonah, this is a light. Jonah, this is some kind of an alert. Jonah, I am doing what I can to get your attention. Again, I want to stress this. If God was done with Jonah, Jonah would have died in the belly of the well. But again, the belly of the well would have never been needed to cause Jonah to die. See, here is God's effort one more time. Ding, 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 ding. Jonah, I want your attention. Jonah, you have been through the storm, and that did not get your attention. Jonah, you've been cast into the water, and I still don't have your attention. So, Jonah, you are now in the belly of the well. Do I have your attention yet? we know that this did get Jonah's attention three days later. Now think about this. God has done at this point everything he can to get Jonah's attention. But at no point was Jonah forced to listen and to respond God's effort to get his attention are we listening let's pay attention to this okay at no point was Jonah required to respond to God's effort to get his attention See, Jonah had already rebelled, and Jonah was already angry with the fact that he had been called to do such a thing, to go to the people of Nineveh. So the fact that he had already rebelled showed he could do whatever he wanted. So whenever God gave this last-ditch effort to try to get his attention with this well that had swallowed him, Jonah had every right to say, no, God, I still will not surrender. But if Jonah refused to surrender, you know what he couldn't do? He couldn't get mad at God for the consequences. If Jonah decided to die that day or in that time frame in the belly of the well, he he couldn't have been mad at God about that. Because he already knew what he was doing was wrong. It's, it's not as though somebody had to tell him and him go, wow, I had no idea. No, Jonah already knew. The belly of the well was just confirmation, buddy, what you're doing is wrong. But if Jonah decided even at that point, you know what, I am not doing what God wants me to do, he had the right and he had the freedom to do it, but he had no right and he had no freedom to be mad at God for what it would cost him eventually. See, here's God trying to get Jonah's attention. And Jonah has a a point now, a very pivotal point in his life. Will I surrender to the alert and to the alarm and to, to God's effort to try to get my attention? Am I going to surrender to that? Or, or am I going to be so stubborn and bullheaded and ridiculous that I will be consumed with everything else and not listen? even if it destroys my life. Now think on that for just a moment for this reason. Last week I said every one of us struggle with selfishness, correct? Every one of us struggle with selfishness. I don't want to identify with Jonah, but I can to an extent. I'm selfish like Jonah is selfish. There are other ways about Jonah's life that I don't necessarily want to identify with him in. I don't want to identify with him in disobedience. But I do. You probably don't. But I do. See, think about it. Here's what happens in my life, and, and, and if this doesn't happen in your life, please just feel sorry for me and pray for me, okay? But here's what happens in my life. There are times that God says, okay, Kyle, I want you to do this. Well, Lord, you know my flesh. You know my desires, you know my ambitions, you know my dreams, you know my wants. And and God, you know that what you have just told me to do or what you've just asked me to do, God, you know that that does not fit in with my plans. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if your preacher could stand before you and say, however, every time I have quickly submitted to God's will. It would be wonderful if your preacher could say that, but guess what? He can't. So what have I done? Well, on more than one occasion, I've run from God's will in my life. Listen, I've run from God's will in my life. I didn't physically get on a boat and try to go the opposite direction of what God wanted me to do. But I decided I will not do what God wants me to do. Have you ever been there? Okay, it it, it happens to most of us. Now, I don't know if you would say this is true of your life, but I think you should if you're honest. But, But here's what I know is true of me, that whenever I disobey God's will for my life, I know I'm doing it. Just like I know, don't leave the keys in the ignition. Just like I know, don't let it run out of gas. Just like I know, I need to buckle up. The same principle is true whenever I begin to run from God's will in my life. I know that what I am doing is not good. It is not right. And it is not best for my life. I know it. And here's what happens. Not only do I have to deal with my own personal conscience, I have to deal with God's efforts to try to get my attention. Because here's what God does. He begins to bring things my way to try to point out where I'm wrong, though I already know I'm wrong. Over the years, I've wanted to tell my friends to shut up, because God was using them to chime. Hey, Kyle, you know, we're just talking, what, what's going on? Ah, you, ah, you know, and, and you know, they would respond with something like, well, I mean, what do you think, or, or or how do you feel, and... And, and they don't even know what they're doing. But God's using them to say, ding, ding, ding. Hey, you already know you're running, Kyle. Now, I, I, listen, I'm trying to get your attention. Your friend is saying exactly what you need to hear. The question is whether or not I'll respond. There have been times over the years I've wanted to tell Susie to shut up. now follow this, not because she's trying to be the Holy Spirit in, in, in my life, but she knows me well enough to know when I'm struggling. And she talks to me, and she says things like, "Well, babe, well what about? You know what God's doing? Ding. Ding, ding, ding. And there have been times in my life I've wanted to say that still small voice isn't so still and so small right now. Have you ever had that still small voice? (laughs) I mean, it's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit trying to do? The Holy Spirit is trying to say, hey, Kyle, come on. You know you're running. You know where you're not supposed to be. You know you're disobeying right now. But you know what I want to do? I want to keep on running, and I want to keep on running, and I want to keep on running. And I want to ignore the chime and the ding and the light that is flashing trying to get my attention. I've been there. I've sat in the pew sometimes, though not as often as I'd like to. And I've heard a message preached. And it was like the Lord said, Kyle, this one's for you. This one's for you. This one isn't for anyone else. Well, it may be for someone else, but we're not worried about them now, Kyle. We're worried about you. Well, Lord, I didn't come to church today to get convicted. Well, see, that, that's, that's really none of your business because what I've done is I've prepared a great sermon to swallow you up. You're not going to be able to get out of this one. You're not going to be able to say, well, brother so-and-so really needed that one, or sister so-and-so, she really needed that one. No, no. see, I'm perfectly prepared for that preacher to come in, not having any idea what you're dealing with or any idea what you're struggling with, and they're going to say some things not having any idea that you're the one right now. And, and here's what I'm doing. I am trying to get your attention through the preaching of the Word of God in this particular service. Ding, 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 ding. You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to get my attention because, Kyle, you are running. Kyle, you are not submitting. Kyle, you are not doing what you know you ought to be doing. Kyle, you are living in disobedience to me, and I am trying to do everything I can to get your attention. Now, I've tried to be careful in how I word this, but I do believe this to be true. If it's happened to me, it's happened to some of you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to come to church and hear a message you didn't want to hear. That is not what you wanted the Sunday school teacher to say. That is not what you wanted Brother Kyle to say. That is not what you wanted the guest preacher to say. That is not at all what you wanted. Yeah, but that's exactly what we needed. And you didn't want your wife or your husband or your kids or your friend to say that. But the Lord used them to say exactly what needed to be said happened to every one of us. Now, please understand this, that as God seeks to get our attention as we run from him in rebellion and as we run in disobedience, as God seeks to get our attention, we never have to surrender to him. We don't have to. I can continue to live in rebellion and you can continue to live in rebellion. If you want to continue to do your own thing, you can continue to do so and I can continue to do so. Every one of us have the freedom to ignore every effort by God to get our attention. But let's not lose sight of this fact. When the consequences come, we have no right to be upset at anyone else but ourselves for what has happened. God, I'm going to ignore you over in this area of my life. And and God, I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. And God, I'm going to ignore the chime and I'm going to ignore the ding. I'm going to ignore that light. I'm going to ignore that effort on your part to get my attention one last time. I'm going to ignore that. Now, when I do that, I don't have the right to then go to God and say, God, how come? God, why? Why? God, how could you? See, I don't have that right. Because I've been living in disobedience, ignoring every warning He has tried to give me. I don't have the right to be mad at God. I don't have the right to be mad at the church. It's not my right. Because I ignored everything that God was doing to try to get my attention. I don't have the right to get mad at fellow Christians because of my unwillingness to acknowledge God's effort to get my attention. See, if I am going to ignore God's effort to get my attention, if you choose to ignore God's effort to get your attention, whatever the effort was, when the consequences come, the only person that we can be upset with is ourselves. Because we brought it on ourselves. This is on us. I was so busy. I was so focused. I was so selfish. I was so consumed with everything else. I was not going to pay attention to the reminder or to the alert. Okay, I I understand we've got our excuses and we've got our reasons. But at the end of the day, that's still on us because we didn't want to listen and give attention to what God was trying to remind us of in the different ways he tried to get our attention. And so this morning, just a couple of things I'd like us to do. First of all, I'd like us to consider this question. Is there any area in your life where you're running right now? Is there any area in your life in which you are running from God's will? Now, see, here's the beautiful thing. Most of us are too proud to admit it. We don't even admit it with our closest of friends because we don't like the accountability. So if I act like I'm not struggling and if I act like I'm not running, then no one can ever call me on the carpet on this issue. But here's the struggle, we cannot get away from ourselves. We absolutely cannot get away from ourselves. And so what that means is this, we can sit here this morning and we can look all churchy in our appearance and we can sound all churchy in the things that we say and the things that we do. But in our heart of hearts, we know this. Listen now, we know whether or not we are living in obedience to God's will for our life. And we know whether or not we're running right now. In what area of life? In any area of life. Just a few weeks ago, man, just a few weeks ago, I was running. Not only was I running, I had been running. Well, what were you running about, Brother Kyle? Do you think I'm going to tell you? I mean, that's where the pride kicks in. I'm not going to tell you where I was running. Let's listen. I was running, and I was running, and I was running. And you know what I was? I was miserable. And so I finally said, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running. This isn't near as fun as I thought it would be. It's not near as enjoyable as I thought it would be. So let's make some things right, and let's let me be vomited back up on dry land. Because that's what you feel like after you've been running for a while. I don't need to know, I don't even want to know what you may be struggling with, but you know if you've been struggling, and you know if you've been running. And you know how unenjoyable it's been. Because it's never run it's never fun to run from God for an extended amount of time. Now this morning you know whether or not you're running. You know whether or not you are 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 doing everything you can to flee from God's will for your life. You know that, and let me just say you have the freedom to continue running. You have all the freedom you want to continue running as far as you want, as long as you want, as hard as you want. But let me just remind every one of us of this. When the consequences come, you have no right to be upset at anyone other than yourself. You can't get mad at your spouse. You can't get mad at your job. You can't get mad at your children. You can't get mad at your parents. You can't get mad at anyone else. The only person that you can be upset with is yourself because you did not want to submit. God's trying to get our attention. He's trying over and over and over to get our attention. The question is whether or not we will respond correctly to that effort. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning in prayer. Lord, I think every one of us knows the feeling of running and trying to get away.